Hi guys, my name is Olivia and welcome or welcome back to the safe space of Heavenly Feminine. It has been a while and I'm so excited to finally be back. I actually got influenza A after I just had the common cold and it got me really bad. So I hope you guys are also staying super safe out there, having your vitamins, having your shots. I I mean like the medical shots but you know whatever shots will help you get through this time I hope you're staying safe um and yeah and the weather in Sydney has been crazy like crazy cold so regardless I hope you're all staying safe out there enough about me though I wanted to introduce this episode to you as well as flag a trigger warning So we have a very special guest, Beck Bell, on today, and we'll be talking about her victim survival story um, from her experience with institutional child sexual abuse. And I also touched on my experience on child on child molestation. So if this is a trigger to you, please, please, please tread lightly into this episode Otherwise, send Beck and her company lots and lots of love. You can find her company on Instagram at unearth full stop underscore, and it will also be in the show notes. So I hope you're really excited to hear her voice and her story, and let's jump into it. It's happening. It's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Heavenly Feminine. Thank you. Ah. Thank you for having me. That's okay. I appreciate it. So, <laughs> I want you to give a little intro on yourself. An intro on myself just generally? Yeah, just yourself. Just generally myself. I am a 24-year-old um, female. Uh, I live by the beach um, and I work three four days a week um out at a campsite where I work with big groups of kids and like you know school camps coming yeah. through and um running like activities like you know rock climbing and archery and all that stuff so I love that I love being out in nature nature is a big like thing for me um it's been a big part of my healing too so mm. it's I, I love my job um and then I work one day a week for myself for a business that I've just launched um amazing amazing. yeah and yeah during my kind of downtime again I just like being in nature so I love going to the beach and for walks bike Mm. rides I'm a thriving thriving introvert so really love to just have down quiet time don't love parties very much um but yeah, so that's kind of me in a nutshell, I suppose. It kind of sounded like a dating profile at one point there. You're yeah. like, you're like I'm yeah, a I like long walks on the beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like the beach. <laughs> I live near the beach. Yeah, I mean, if you're listening, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to even say your name. You're Beck. Uh, Beck. Beck. Yeah, Beck Bell. Beck Bell. Beck Bell. Beck Bell. <laughs> awesome. So you mentioned your new business. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been good. Launched it in, um, like I think maybe September, October last year. I think October twenty twenty one. October twenty twenty one, and your business is called Unearth. Do you want to speak mm-hmm. about your small business a bit too? Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess. 
my small small business, my company. I'm going to call it a company. Oh, company. That's I a good I give back word. myself. Uh, yeah, like you said, it's called Unearth. And the, um, the, the kind of way it came about was um, out of my own brokenness and out of my own um, realisation of all the resources that I needed and wanted throughout my trauma and, and the processing, like the subsequent processing of all my trauma. And, um, yeah, really just seeing that there was such a lack um, in the resources available to me. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, just combining little glimmers of moments when I saw someone share their story or I saw someone share some trauma recovery-related content and it was like a lifeline for me. So it was um, really like that's kind of what birthed this. I would say like still kind of troubleshooting the language, but I would say that it's like a holistic trauma recovery company. Um, mm. Yeah. So that kind of that's where it was birthed out of. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I love that. And how long in the making was it? Um, I think quite a few years, probably like three or four really? years maybe. Yeah, uh, and I think like I was thinking about about this yesterday, and I was like, my a big part of the push to release, like to open a company, was to be able to share my story yeah. freely. So I think it was in the works because I was, you know, for seven years in a process with in the, in the legal system where I wasn't allowed to share freely, yeah. um, and that began to just really wound me especially watching other professionals share my story and my lived experience on my behalf in a way that I you know that I felt like wasn't true to me so um yeah I just started to it always helped me to get through to say one day I'm going to share about all of this and every time an injustice happened which was all the time (laughs) um I something in me would say I'm going to talk about this one day and I'm going to make make change so this doesn't happen again to someone else it almost helped me to be able to um yeah to be able to like endure the injustice for the promise that I would be able to talk freely about it in my own name that does sound so healing to have that mindset and be like yeah I will speak about this I will speak up like Mm -hmm. this is I'm not letting it slide it will come back Mm -hmm. Yeah. to haunt them <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a little yeah. bit of that I was yeah. like a couple of times I was like oh you'll you'll rue the day that you said that <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh you're gonna regret that you said that because yeah. I'm not afraid to talk about it you know yeah I think yeah I think they were relying on the fact that I would be afraid to talk about it mm. um oh, yeah, they were wrong yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly that's so cool mm. and do you mind to also talk a bit about your story because your brother is my best mm-hmm. friend and so I've only heard stuff from his perspective so I'd love to mm-hmm. actually hear your voice too and hear about your story as well I didn't even realize it was seven years in the legal system so. yeah it was seven years and it's actually still ongoing at this yeah. point so we're going on eight years um yeah I'm happy to share a little bit it's kind of um like as we said seven years going on eight years and the abuse itself took place over three years so it's you know nine going on 10 years of my life and I'm 24 so it's been a big portion of my life um with this right at the forefront and fully like you know around my life and in in my mind and in my heart um so I'll just do like real broad strokes I'm happy to go into it or like tell a story if you want or yeah yeah. um, something a bit more specific but broad strokes Mm. I would say that so I 
am a victim survivor of institutional child sexual abuse. Um, I was abused in my church um, by my youth leader who was in his 30s and married um, while I was um, 15, 16 and 17 years old. Um, Yeah, so he groomed me and like the assaults range. I was abused. I was assaulted probably multiple times a week for a period of three years. Um, and the kind of grooming that took place was along the narrative of like, you're so much more mature than other girls your age. And you're, you're like, this is what we have is like nothing else I've ever experienced before. This is more than what my wife gives me. This is, you know, he really drew out my maturity, which I think at that age, I think that I would be universally agreed that women at that age, girls at that age, want to be older and want to be seen that like taken seriously and seen yeah yeah so he really drew that out of me and I guess another big contributing factor was that you know my parents were the pastors of the church and I grew up very closely involved with the church and everybody in my life all of the people that I looked up to loved him Mm. and raved about him and he was so generous and like all of the grooming tactics such as you know uh, isolating the victim and like schmoozing the family and giving big elaborate gifts and just all of these things like he he ticked all those boxes we didn't see it no one saw it but we all see it now but I think that that added a layer of complexity because I saw everybody in my world actually doting over him yeah um so it almost felt appropriate that I would have that relationship with him um and it also made me feel like when I had concerns that things were wrong um and that my boundaries were being pushed which I did often um I felt like they had no grounds because if I was to go against him Mm. there was such a strong culture particularly the religious kind of expectation of you honor your leaders and you respect your leaders and Mm. leaders are kind of above question so I didn't feel that was a safe to disclose even though there were times throughout my abuse that I knew I sensed that something was wrong and I wanted to speak up but I didn't have a space for that so yeah just as you were saying some of his grooming tactics like <laughs> I already started feeling my boil blood I was like "Ooh, my boil mm. blood <laughs> my blood boil <laughs> yeah my boil was blood <laughs> yeah my boil was doing the blooding <laughs> but mm. oh, wow and when was the first time you spoke up um the first time it's it's kind of complicated again broad strokes um there was a big tension in our relationship the day that our relationship kind of ended it was like you know full-on 24-hour communication for three years and then on that day it just ended and was like ghosting and on that day I had reached out to a pastor at our church who I really trust and love Mm. her she was like really she had been closely involved with me throughout my childhood and was kind of like a pastor to me when my parents couldn't be the pastors because they wanted them to be my parents so yeah um and actually she I went to hang out with her with no intention of disclosure and then um, but I just wanted to ask her a few things and um yeah and she kind of asked me if I loved him uh, I think she was obviously sensing some attachment kind of stuff wow. um and she professionally kind of has a background where she was trained to be able to see that stuff 
Um, and I, it kind of was the beginning of this unraveling process. So then um, I didn't disclose anything that was reportable to, to her. Um, so it kind of kept things at bay and the relationship was off with him. And then I disclosed to a school teacher um, after I'd graduated. Um, again, like it was reportable, but not in great detail. Um, cause that's, I've learned now that that's quite common in cases of, well, in disclosure that it comes out over a period of time and yeah. as the survivor is ready to start using language to explain what had happened, that process kind of happens slowly. It's not often one big disclosure with all the details. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was a cycle of people. And then eventually I, I approached this teacher and said, can you help me to write something to disclose to this pastor? And then when I did finally write that and disclose it to this pastor, she helped me to write something and disclose it to my parents. Um, oh, wow. And then that's the same thing that I read out to all of my siblings. Oh, and mm. so you read it out to your siblings too? Yeah, it was awful. Those nights were some of the like worst nights. Yeah. yeah. And it, my youngest, my two youngest siblings, you know, one of them, which is <laughs> your best friend, yeah. um, they were both still really young at yeah. the time. So we didn't tell them. I didn't tell them immediately. I told them later in life. But yeah, I met with my older sister and older brother yeah. um, and their partners and sat down and, and read it out. Yeah. And that's amazing because I know having those conversations and disclosing things, like I've been in those situations where you literally cannot physically get the words out. Like yeah. there's times where... You, that first step is so daunting and your throat just closes up and so having that paper did you find did that help like having something to read out and something to lean back on did you struggle at all like getting the words out or were you able to absolutely yeah it was excruciating like I yeah it was very hard and I think to some extent I just had to disassociate from what I was doing because, and not think about the impact of what I was saying. Um, yeah. I just needed to get it out. And I did have that pastor present who was, you know, was also like a very close friend, you know. She's kind of more like like a friend, auntie, close, you know. So yeah, she, she, was, yeah. she wasn't just there in her formal pastor capacity. She was very caring and in tune. And she also had a copy of what I was reading. Yeah. Um, so she kind of mediated the situation. But she also, when I could, when I st- stopped if I needed to stop she would continue reading and that was an arrangement that we'd made that because we just I just wanted to get it out and for it to be done so she had a copy that she would read to if I stopped that's so Mm. amazing that you were able to have that support there Mm. and Mm. so you weren't alone and yeah not saying that that does make it and any time is easier but that is really beautiful that there's someone like that. So, yeah, if you had to stop, they could continue for you so you could get that story out. Yeah. Wow. So that was after you graduated too. So you were now mm-hmm. meant to be at this blossoming time of your life, adult, um, and you started to share your story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of changed the trajectory of my future. Yeah. Um, I had never anticip- like anticipated that I would disclose anything. And t- to be honest, I think I, because it was, the abuse took place over such a developmental time 
in my life, I didn't mm. understand the magnitude of what had happened. Yeah. Even then, you know, at the age of 17, I didn't. Yeah, I was so heavily disassociated for so many years from what was happening and through what was happening that I didn't realise that I had been abused, really. I knew there was lots of things that made me feel yuck and I think to some extent my intuition, like I knew that I didn't, something was wrong. Like that's how I say it, something's wrong here and I don't know what it is. And I didn't at that point allow myself to admit or believe that, that I had been a victim yeah. Or that I had been in the hands of a pedophile. Like I didn't, I couldn't see all of that. And yeah. even in that in that response that I, so in my disclosure that I had read aloud, when I read that back, it's so interesting now because I can see that there was so much of me that still didn't understand what had happened. Yeah. So it's just like, it's like time travel <laughs> to go back. And yeah. I'm saying things like, I don't want to go to the police. I um, forgive him and I just want to move forward and I'm okay, I'm fine, it doesn't affect me, Yeah. all of these things, like where I was just trying to minimise yeah. um, my experience. Yeah, still trying to let it out, but you're like, yeah, but I don't want to make a big deal out of it. Yeah, I just need exactly. you to listen to me without understanding the true weight of yeah, it. I, exactly. Yeah, I understand because I have experienced my own sexual molestation I believe you'd call it and I went through that whole having to validate my feelings because I had the exact same thing where I just knew something was wrong Mm. something didn't sit right with me and because from my perspective it was another child in one case it was um a girl that was the same age as me from the same grade um, and we were seven going on to eight. Mm. And then another time, I'm not sure how old I was, but there was a boy. I remember I, I would have been anywhere from six to maybe nine. Um, and they were five years older than me as well. And so they're still a child too. So in both scenarios, when I started growing up and I knew something didn't sit right, I just, I, I felt like, because they were children it couldn't be anything terrible Mm. it couldn't be malicious and it couldn't have actually been something bad um yeah well yeah I would always so I had the exact same thing the first time I spoke out um the first time I spoke out I've only ever talked about what happened with the girl And I do remember when I was growing up, like I was even 11 years old and I would tell someone at school, like a close friend, um, and just say, Hey, this happened. Ha ha. And they would just be Mm. like, what? No way. So it's Mm. still, because it was to, again, children, it was never something we didn't have that capacity to know that it wasn't okay and yeah. that I was suffering. It was just like a, what? That's so weird that that would happen. Um, yeah. And yeah, so that was still again, yeah, I still didn't realize the weight of it. And although with the girl, it like I still only have a, only a handful of memories in mind that really have been the ones kind of haunting me. Um, and with the boy, there's only one time. So that alone as well was also a, a thing where I'm like, oh, 
but it was like only one time so that doesn't make it like a thing right so yeah right the way your mind minimizes the impact it's like a survival mechanism though isn't it like to some extent we can see that as like oh um, I was so naive and trying to pretend it didn't happen and you know yeah ignoring the reality but on the other hand it's it's like an incredibly brave survival mechanism yeah where we have to just kind of set it aside and choose like our brains choose to allow us to process it in little tiny chunks at a time in order for it to slowly normalize yeah like no one no one telling you no that was child on child molestation and you were you are a victim and you are impacted you will be impacted by this for you know yeah like that that it's not the way that we're designed like yeah it's an incredibly brave thing to even to start processing that in your adulthood and yeah. reflect on that because I gotta say like I since coming out with my story my lived experience um I've had many 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 disclosures mm. to me um often things that people haven't shared with anybody. And there's there are so many stories of child-on-child assault and molestation. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of much more prevalent than I think many of us realise. Like, I was interesting, like, I was thinking about this, and this is maybe a bizarre thing to say, but I realised that possibly in someone else's mind, I could have been a perpetrator of child on child molestation Mm. like I just think back to this time I think I was also a victim of it like it was confusing because consent with children it's exactly it's not the same it's not the same even if a child is consenting it's not the same and but you know there were times when I pushed the envelope with another child you know a boy I had a crush on and then there were times when the same thing happened to me when boys pushed the envelope with me yeah and we kind of write it off it's just you know that was we're just kids and we're just crushing on each other yeah but you're right it's something like what you said like it kind of some parts haunt you and like you carry it with you yeah and that's when you can yeah start to realize that that it does have an impact and it was a a violation you know exactly like the first time I spoke about it to an adult it was to my mum and I ended up just taking her to another room and I was like I want to talk to you about something and I told her and the first thing she said was oh but I think that's a bit of a normal thing like kids playing Mm. house when I was little kids would play house and all like my mum's way not way better but she's validated my feelings to this Mm. day now but in that moment I just crumbled and mm. I was like, okay, so yeah, it was all just in my head. It's normal for this to happen. Like, I shouldn't feel this way. Because exactly with what you brought up with consent is that I would always beat myself up being like, I never said no. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah you I totally no hear you. Yeah. And it, and it does, like, I look back at myself and, and I do get sad for that in a child of mine for mm. feeling that way like oh, it, it it is so mm. trippy um yeah yeah for sure I mean that's a whole whole thing of beating ourselves up for why we didn't do why did why we didn't fight to why we didn't 
yeah, actually I posted about this on Unearth. It was one of the earlier things that I posted and I had so much feedback from that. Mm. Um, like many people have heard of the trauma responses, like fight, flight, yes. freeze. Yeah. But there's, there's a fourth one, fawn. Actually, I think there's five now. They keep, you know, <laughs> it's evolving as, <laughs> yeah. as time goes on. <laughs> yeah. But at that time that I posted it, it was fight, flight, freeze and fawn. Yeah. And I think early days it was just fight or flight, you know, that conversation. 100%. Yeah. Fight or do you fly? And um, the freeze response, when I kind of stumbled across that really simple piece of information, it just, um, it just validated so deeply in myself what what yeah how I responded when I was being assaulted repeatedly because like I said there were times I was a child so again the consent the consent issue yeah um is there but I was also at some point 16 which is over the you know the age of consent um but when you've been groomed for tears leading up to your 16th birthday are you really consenting like can you really are you lucid to consent and yeah no you're not I would argue um but yeah, so like I just remember thinking like there were times when I froze or I just fawned where I was like, it's like, I love you too. And, mm. and just went into, yeah, I became like overly loving it. Like I overcompensated yeah. to show him, no, this is okay for me. Um, yeah. Because I didn't fight. I wish I had a fight. I wish I had a fought. I look back and I think I wish I just pushed him off me and said, you know, F off. And there were times that I did. And that's why I think, why didn't I do that every time? Like, why couldn't I? Yeah. Why couldn't I do that every time? But I I think learning about how my body, like, again, on survival mechanisms, learning how my body is cleverly built to protect me and to handle the extremely traumatic situation that I was in that you were in. Something like a narrative, I would have beaten myself up for years over that. And I, I was, to be honest, I hated myself for not running away or for fighting back. But as I learned about my body and its, its natural instinct and its healthy instinct, I just had like, it was like an avalanche of grace for myself of like, yeah. oh my goodness, I don't hate that girl. Like that inner child, I hated her. Like, why didn't she do something? Like she was such, yeah. such, such a wimp, you know? Yeah. Um, but now I look back and I just think, oh my goodness. She, I, you know, my inner child was terrified and was trying her absolute best just to survive that situation, which was incredibly traumatic. And, um, yeah, and I, I would hope that that's why, I, that's why I'm in the business of like recovering from trauma because mm. even though it's so unpleasant to talk about the things that happen to us, particularly, you know, in both of our cases as children, there's something so freeing about taking the times like taking the narrative even if it's like no one else has heard it taking the narrative of self-hate and of um confusion you know about Mm. the situation taking the grayness and just making it really clear and then reframing and rewriting that situation and saying well I was a child that person made me feel this therefore I did this and this is what it means to me this is how it impacts me and like just moving through those big emotions that come up with that and then moving forward with clarity, you know, yeah. a bit a bit more clarity and just slowly making all the foggy things clear and taking them with you into your future. Like, yeah, I'm, that's what I'm in the business of, I think. Like I've experienced that time and time again with memories and of, of my abuse and things that happened to me as a child and 
yeah, I would love for other people to experience that same freedom. I mean, it's shit. It's not fun at all. Like it hurts like hell to have to move through it. But I think the freedom is is worth the yeah. the price. Yeah. Mm. It's so beautiful. Mm. Like even when you said you have an avalanche of grace for yourself, I just that even imagery is so beautiful and I would really hope that yeah that people other victim survivors would be able to experience that for themselves to -hmm. get to that point where they realize it is okay that in that moment maybe you didn't fight or you didn't Mm -hmm. have the ability to speak up but exactly what you said it's the healthy ways that we are built to protect ourselves and to survive and to get through those times and yeah I never even thought about it in that light so that's even enlightened me (laughs) where I'm like wow yeah yeah, like that that is just us surviving Mm. and that's empowering to think of as well yeah it's not just like you said us being a wimp or Mm, it's incredible strength exactly even though we didn't see it that way at the time Mm, yeah 100 percent. that's wow i loved all of that (laughs) i ate every little (laughs) crumb of that that was amazing (laughs) wow yeah and so could you actually explain as well what that fourth f of fawn means for some people who haven't stumbled across it because I remember that was the first time I came across it too. And I had it as a dot point I wanted to speak about today as well. Because I never heard of it and it spoke so true to me. I was like, I need Beck to tell me about this. <laughs> and yeah. to speak about it. Because, yeah, people, I've never heard anyone else talk about the fawn before. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think, well, I'll read the definition of fawn. And then it'd be interesting to hear what your like what your experience with this is mm. um i can definitely say that of the four trauma responses more often than not i froze oh yeah. you know what now that i'm thinking about it it was probably a mixture of freeze and form i think <laughs> i think mine is the same when i read it as yeah. i had a mixture yeah yeah right um so fawning it can come up as people pleasing avoiding conflict prioritizing others over yourself having difficulty saying no, having trouble setting and maintaining boundaries, and typically develops in childhood and manifests, this is interesting, typically develops in childhood and manifests as avoidance of stress in adulthood. Oh, my God. So, yeah, that's, (laughs) yeah, gee, there's a lot there. Like, I think some of those ring true to me and some not so much. But, yeah, I know that, like, I, at the time of my relationship, with my youth leader, I thought that he was like my boyfriend, like my romantic partner, yeah. even though we had like, you know, 19 years in between us. Yeah. Um, and I think that my trauma response, the fawn trauma response um, to actually, um, you know, like avoid avoid the conflict of the situation and actually just – like pour myself out on him for him. Like I just drew yeah. closer to him, which is bizarre to me. And yeah, I think that that I was, a, it was to protect myself from the conflict of how significant this was. If I chose to see what was really happening, it was easier for me to just see him as my boyfriend 
and to yeah live in that space um which really was hard because it exacerbated it because I think he possibly received that as consent and encouragement to keep going um which I had a lot of shame about that for a long time yeah Mm. yeah what about you yeah so with Vaughn (laughs) I'm I don't know if it's manifested somewhere there but that's actually something I'm really working on at the moment in my life like I'm going through this era where I'm fighting against my people-pleasing tendencies and my inability to say no and all of that because I've, I've noticed a pattern where yeah I just I cannot put myself first ever mm-hmm. Except I'm working on it now and I'm starting yeah. to. <laughs> yeah. But it's good. Okay. yeah, like Ivan told you a bit off topic how um, when we were just speaking beforehand that I've been working 60 hour weeks lately because mm. I couldn't just say no to picking up some work or to saying no for myself and realizing I need a day off and and then going into that whole people pleaser thing that just transports me back to um those times in those situations where yeah I I couldn't say no there was a time where to get a bit of a story where I was with this girl and we were not wearing clothes and we went into her closet because a neighbor decided to visit it was at those times where, you know, all your neighbor friends would come over. <laughs> yeah. And so she had, I think, like I said, we were seven or eight and she had like a 12 year old neighbor who came over and she started calling out throughout the house for this girl. So she was like, oh, well, we can't be seen without our clothes on. So we went into her closet and in there she was asking me to do some things. And I was like, um, no, but again, I could not say no. I could Mm -hmm. not, again, even though I knew something wasn't sitting right with me, I couldn't. And Mm -hmm. that's where I feel like I didn't, I I have to like cross off, I didn't fight. I didn't flight. (laughs) I didn't fly. (laughs) I didn't freeze, but I just went along with everything. And so I think that's where those situations where that fawning really came in. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so it is yeah. again comforting mm. to just know, like, again, that's yeah, just a that trauma was a response. natural. It was an instinct, exactly. Yeah. Like I have sat across from women who share with me these things, and there's so much shame because, to some extent, it, particularly with women who it was something that they did, you know, that they participated in, or they offered like a sexual act to someone else, or that yeah. or not offered, but you know that that I hear in their voices so much shame about that and that they're dirty and that they, well, you know, they actually were the one, they they didn't just receive a sexual act and do nothing. Something about um, the stories where women gave a sexual act to somebody else. Yeah, it's just like there's a whole new level of, yeah, I don't know, just, sense of filth like they just hate yeah. themselves for it and it seems like it's much more difficult 
to untangle in in people's minds um and i totally get that there was a few moments like that in my relationship with the perpetrator Uh, but yeah like i i just would hope and like pray that women don't have to feel that shame or like yeah with this equipped with this information they can actually realize that that they went along with it i mean that's a very like i mean it's a bit of a stereotype but women tend to do that be pretty yeah yeah, unobtrusive non-confrontational just let people push them around um push us around you know Mm. um and i think that like there's a lot of healing I hope, you know, for for women who carry that shame about things that they've done, um, particularly things that they've never talked about. Like, I hope that they heal from those things within themselves. 100%. Yeah. Mm. Wow. And that is the end of the first part with Beck Bell. And I hope you loved it. I'm sure you did. And make sure to stay tuned for the next episode where she will go more into depth on her battle with the justice system. Don't forget to send her lots of love as always. And we will see you in the next one. Bye.